Hello, and we are back with the Survival Guide for another week. Special Black Friday app. Um, this is Lorna and Joel with you. Usually, um, you know, we take up that time slot 12 to 2. Um, we've had a little bit of a break. We've been conversating and travelling and um, working and doing all those things that form our show. And we're happy to be bringing you a deadly packed show that's specifically dedicated to black women. Um, Given NAIDOC Week's um, theme, we're going to be talking about the important women in our lives and communities, um, but also try to kind of have a critical view of um, what, that's, what that means um, today in our communities and in the city. Is it a deferral of responsibility? What is it enabling? Um, myself, mm. as a young Indigenous man... Um, I try to be conscious of what it is that I kind of place on the women in my life and, and, and that sort of stuff and whether or not this theme is kind of um, exacerbating the, some of those ideas. So I'm going to be taking a bit of a back seat and running mm-hmm. things in the background while Lorna kind of directs this. So and we've, been, we've been talking a lot about black women's labour and the work in the communities and a lot of black women um, that... I'm very privileged to, you know, have conversations with and to be influenced and see their critiques, critiques regularly. And that's what it comes back to and that's what I want to talk about and give a shout out to all these deadly black women that are critiquing what's going on at the minute because I really feel like, you know, that the NAIDOC theme chosen for this year, um, which is because of her we can, has kind of really kind of, triggered a lot of black women more than anything in a way where, you know, we want to celebrate the labour and uh, black women in the communities, um, but it's also triggering just to show how you want to relegate all of that in one week. So, you know, I just want to kind of put it back to that and really think about what that means and just really dedicate this whole episode, this, this Black Friday, this celebration of blackness, to black women in communities that are still there and that are doing all of these jobs as well as raising their families, as well as, you know, um, being being that pivotal um, family member, um, you know, that, that has to do all these extra roles, um, you know, as well as in their jobs. Um, we're specifically going to be talking to people that are close to myself uh, part of my extended family, part of my family lines. So these are conversations that I've been, you know, that has been informing um, a lot of my work for a while now. But specifically this year being that theme, because of her we can, it's really stirred up a lot of, it's really stirred up just how uncelebrated we are in our communities. And I think as a black woman, talking about celebrating other black women, I myself don't get to celebrate other black women as much as we should. And I really feel like it goes beyond just this NAIDOC theme and it really needs to. Um, Just a little FYI as well. um, The NAIDOC theme was actually um, referencing another campaign that existed in another country, more black women's labour. And I think it was called um, Because of Them. Because of Them We Can. Um, and there was lots of um, positive images, you know, there was quotes by Shaka, Shaka, Shaka Khan and, and famous black women that have, 
you know, been pivotal community members as well as these huge profiles and these huge artists, you know, because Shaka Khan, she started out in those breakfast programs with the Black Power uh, movements and stuff like that. And we've been talking about all of those things. And, you know, not a lot of people would, would connect those dots as well, um, which are, which are again, you know, we just, th these little links just keep on linking up. Um, but I just find it really, really quite slack that this theme is, that's, Joel's just pulled up an image um, of it, and it's not that hard to find. And I just think it's really slack that, you know, black women don't get that acknowledgement enough. And then when they finally try and kind of have a whole theme dedicated to that, to celebrate that, it's still kind of centralised from a, 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 a male perspective as well. And it's still ripping other, other black women's work without acknowledging them, which I think is, you know, that's kind of not what we want to... I don't think that message really correlates with what we're trying to do here. So again, you know, that's why we're coming at this app with um, Black Women's Voices and just celebrating that 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 creation, that you know, that essence, that that thing that is evident in all of these communities and has been there since day dot and has been, you know, just you can't even articulate it, right? Like you can't even articulate how important black women are in black communities but you know also not being exclusive to um female identifying people as well you know because i think that we really need to not be carrying these colonial ideas of gender i think that it's actually done a lot of a lot more harm than good again you know um our generation are knee deep in that work of unpacking this stuff and really critiquing all of these influences so again you know it's been really triggering um it's been really triggering having to relegate all of that celebrating and all of that acknowledgement to one week when we should be doing it every single day. Um, so we've we've got we've got uh, we've got yarns. We're going to be crossing to my sister girl in Melbourne. We're going to be crossing to my mother-in-law in Kununurra in WA, who are you know two black women that have raised children in those communities that are still there working in those communities. Um, and that are now experiencing a lot of other social issues and a lot more work and a lot more labour because of population control, closing down communities, destroying Aboriginal communities that have been built up by these same people. How do we hold on to them? How are we holding on to them? And I guess that's why it's so important to, 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 let, to let black women be the voices for this app and to really unpack how we are doing that. Yeah, touching on ongoing waves of displacement, this is sort of some of the themes that we've been trying to kind of keep threaded through these last couple, all of these shows is kind of always bringing it back to the context of the people who have been affected in these in these situations. And I think this is a really great opportunity for this week to kind of show our love and respect for the people, the foundational members of our own lives and the people who keep our community strong. That's right. Shout out, shout out to uh, Wild Black Women Too podcast. Always critiquing these these huge issues, and uh, I'm very lucky to be a part of these conversations online as well. And I think they actually dropped something today. Speaking of people that drop something today, we actually have a little um, exclusive um, first run on Skid Row um, by. Deadlier Sister Girls, Lady Lash, Mariki Hood and Dizzy Doolan, they've dropped a song today, Black Friday, called Sister Girl.
So we're going to play that for you right now just to get into the groove, just to be feeling that blackness and just to really, really just acknowledging the day that it is today and the week, but also the month and the year and our whole existence. Celebrate every day because these people are important and it matters. Thank you. You're listening to Radio Skid Row 88.9. This is Survival Guide. We'll be back. Genocide combined, tell them in the darkness, resilience thrives with an unmatched beauty and fire in her eyes. She burns as bright as the stars in the sky, cause the warrior spirit is very hard to come by. So when they ask what's a woman's worth, you say the greatest gift alive on earth. Uh, uh. Beautiful queen that I've ever seen, holding it down for your family. On your grind, you always smile, being real on the inside. Earth and fire, shine and star. Sister, stand wherever you are. Hold the seeds of birth. You're the queen of mother. Sister, girl, black diamond shining bright. I see you carry yourself with beautiful pride. Giving hope, raising kids for our future. A smile without a reason. You're a gift of a teacher. You're the strongest woman that I've ever seen. Work hard, projecting positivity. Holding it down, I'm grown in the tapestry. Giving room to dream, no silver spoon to feed. Baby girl, be proud, make the best choice in life. Keep your head up, this is my only advice. Your love stirs in the belly of the streets. Careful what you learn, finding your inner peace. You're more loud than you could possibly see. Like a rose grew in these concrete scenes. Each day there's hope, always remember. I got your back in any type of weather. Beautiful queen that I've ever seen. Holding it down for your family. On your grind, you always smile. Being real on the inside. Earth and fire, shining star. Essence to stand wherever you are. Hold the seeds of birth. You're the queen of mother. This is for my sisters on the streets. Feeling broken, but why give it to defeat? Keep your head up. 
And this is for my single moms of high racing baby all alone Cause that's gonna keep your head up And this is for my independent girls that be taking on the world Not a father keep your head up And this is for my frontline women who've been there from the beginning Stand tall and keep your head up And we're back with more Survival Guide this Friday, um, which evidently is Black Friday, um, right in the middle of NADOC week. Um, And, you know, we've been talking about how we need to be celebrating black women every single day and not just one week of the year. Um, We've been talking about, um, you know, benefits Uh, benefiting Aboriginal women because I really feel like this has just kind of been a more an excuse uh, for more black women to be working more you know literally every black woman that I know is busy this week Um, you know I feel like we've got it we've got it twisted I totally feel like we've got it twisted I'm like why aren't we celebrating these women why does it mean that more black women have to be the face of things and have to be up talking and performing and dancing and sharing culture it just means more work for us really when I think the thing is totally twisted it needed to be flipped around you know where's 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 the men in our community celebrating these women and 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 pampering them and serving them the way that we serve everybody else Where's the encouragement for the children to be able to do that as well? You know, it's just got more black women doing more work, which I think is not what we need right now. Um, And again, you know, why aren't we doing those things? Why aren't our communities thinking of those things? Why aren't we actually celebrating each of these women individually as well as collectively and doing everything for them for that one week? It's the least. It's the absolute least that could happen. But, you know... We've just ripped other people's hard work and their campaigns pretty much and put Aboriginal faces on them. Again, you know, I'm not a fan of um, government-sanctioned stuff. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I think if you listen to this show, you'll understand why I'm very critical and, again, why we have to be critical and maintain that that way of thinking and trying to be observational as well as critical as well as challenge these things again you know a lot of people were sharing something um uh at the start of the week on google there was an artwork that featured a prominent aboriginal woman um that is uh, that um has since passed away has has you know been on that other side of that other realm for a while now um there's been a lot of things um this this person, I guess, a lot of people would consider a national icon, a national treasure, which often means that a lot of the protocols around how we deal with people that have passed away don't quite apply to people um, like Mumshell. 
um, who you know I have to mention is one of one of my one of my grandmothers. Um, you know, it's my grandmother's auntie. So it, you know, that's this is this is my matriarchal lines that I see kind of splashed across these campaigns. Um, and good on Google for profiling Aboriginal women in, you know, for NAIDOC week and in the spirit of NAIDOC week and all this sort of stuff. But again, you know, that has caused more trauma for people like my family coming from this community um, about who, who, who's been asked for permission, who's been consulted about this great person's image, um, you know, that a lot of protocol gets totally sidelined. Um, Mum Shell was very. Uh, she was synonymous with the setting up of AMS as well as the as well as Marawena, like we've unpacked in previous episodes. So we're up to episode six now. We're kind of rounding out the rest of our series as well, um, which is a bit hectic. But you know, we'll, we'll come back to that. But that's where we're at at the moment. Um, people like people like Mum Shell. She was given the name Mum Shell because. Um, of her interactions with the um, young men in the jails and she was stopped by a police officer uh, by the screws upon um, entering the jails one time um, and she was told that she couldn't visit this person because it wasn't a direct relative to which she replied that she was their mother. So then when she walked in, everybody started calling her mum, you know, because they recognised that that she was a senior Aboriginal woman that could use that family law stuff to kind of, you know, get over these things. And these screws didn't think too much of it and just seen a, a, an older Aboriginal woman. Um, but, you know, she was always thinking of ways, loopholes within the system. And I guess that's, you know, without losing any of that family structure, without you l- losing any of that integrity... This community, there's a long list of black women that have made this community what it is that I really feel like they don't get celebrated enough. Um, And I just wanted to talk about this community and the fact that it's still standing is a testament to those women and their work and their strength and their whole entire bloodlines before them. And that's what we're like, that's what we're kind of trying to talk about is this, this matriarchy, this legacy how we've ended up here. Um, how have we ended up with these states of affairs within these communities? So at the moment, we're really talking about Waterloo-Redfern. We're talking about Sydney. We're always marrying gentrification with colonisation and looking at the solutions based on how our people survived colonisation, the first waves in 1788, right? Um so again, it's in, I always think it's worth, you know, having a look at the history of, of anything to kind of try and find answers. So we've just been talking about displacement, missions, population control, um, and those kind of things. Um, I guess it's a really classic colonial tactic of divide and conquer as well that gets used, used, used again in so many different ways. Um, so up until 1820, just to kind of jump, up until 1820 there was Gadigal people still living down there on on the waterfront. 
there was an event and I'm, I'm trying to do all my fact checking and stuff like that but you know I can only do so much again we're trying not to exert our labor and our work at the moment but you know I'm sure you fellas can can look some stuff up too and start start to um, come along on this journey and educate yourself and be in control of that education as well because that's what we're talking about you fellas looking this stuff up we we can suggest this we can have this conversation but he's got to he's got to follow up Gadigal peoples, Sydney peoples were still very much living on their land. Um, up until 1820, it was said that there was an event that meant that there was a lot of international visitors to Sydney. So there was camps all around the waterfront. There was, you know, ceremony still being conducted to an extent after smallpox epidemic, after those, um, you know, unrecorded expeditions that often resulted in rounding up women and children and murdering them, um, you know, those kind of things um, that this country is founded on. This is, this is, these are the stories. This is, you know, this is our history, all of our history. Um, there were still camps around Cleveland Street. One of the last ceremonies in the area was actually d conducted in those camps and involved um, Benelong's son, um, and you know, again, you know, this, th these, these are all a part of a part of this narrative, and what we're trying to remind everybody about this stuff, you know, and how we've gotten to this point. So those camps were then shut down because we were going to have international visitors, and they didn't want people to see Aboriginal people living, um, living full stop, right? Whether it's in a house or in a cave or traditionally, or you know in a modern context. They just didn't want to see us living. Rounded them all up. Continues to this day. And and that's what we're going to connect to and unpack. So I'm sorry, I get a bit lost in this because it is hectic and, um, you know, we're right in the thick of it, which is why I need to be able to talk to other sister girls, which is why I need to be, talk, be able to talk to other people, right? So there was a camp, there was a couple of camps that was set up, um, and they even set up, I think it was called, like, one, one place was called the Kissing Point Tribe, which were made up of survivors of other clan groups. And so then they were then pushed on to other places. There was another camp called Salt Pan Creek, and I'm sure that that was out near La Perouse. Um, and it, it was both white and black people living out there, which is very similar to the stories that I was told about my grandmother's... Um, um, around Yass, all the camps and that before these missions were set up, there were camps there and there were poor people and there were Aboriginal people living the way that they, like literally, you know, living um, on that, on that breadline at that time. <coughs> um, we've got La Perouse mission. We've got a little bit of information there. What year was that established? Just in the timeline of things. Sorry, so we've got, we've got, um, I've, I've found some information here and we've been trying to trace where all this comes from. Where these ideas about dispossessing people, um, you know, and also cutting them off, cutting off communication, controlling their food supply, controlling their access to water, controlling their access to culture, controlling their access to each other and ultimately controlling access to land. It's all the same thing. And what they did back then is pretty much 
what is happening today and what continues to happen in um, the communities that we're going to be talking to. Um, I've just found a, a bit of information about protection laws. I've just found this on the IATSIS website and it says the history of Australia's various state protection laws and the history of the Aborigines inland mission begins in London in 1837 when a parliamentary select committee presented a report on Aboriginal tribes to the House of Commons and Parliament. The report on Aboriginal tribes presented findings on the well-being of all Indigenous peoples in British colonies and included chapters on New Holland, Australia and Van Diemen's Land, Tasmania. The suggestions chapter recommended that the protection of Aborigines should be consider considered as a duty belonging to the executive government. Religious instruction and education be provided to Aborigines and missionaries be encouraged to work with Aborigines as well as the beginning of, Ab of Australia's state protection laws. The report on Aboriginal tribes marking the beginning of the involvement of Christian churches in missionary work to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. So we've got about 17 years in between the times that I was just talking about and this parliamentary select committee that then influenced the protection laws that enabled things like the stolen generation to happen, like slavery like what are some of the other things come on now it's 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 the same thing over and over again it's um it's speaking english it's conforming to christian um ideals it's conforming to their ideas of modesty mm -hmm. <coughs> methods of assimilation you know that's right and it's also controlling the way that we relate with the genders as well. Mm. This mm. is where they started really experimenting with young Aboriginal boys and girls and telling them that they were better off in life to marry white partners, which again is a lot of the start of a lot of the start of the toxicity that we're trying to unpack today, right? There's also a book that is really good read, which is called Our State of Mind. Um, and it really unpacks a lot of the policies in WA, which then became the handbook. Because at this time, you know, all the states were kind of competing about how well they could play the eugenics game. And then in WA, they were specifically cruel. Um, and they literally was talking about slavery, how to create the best slaves. All the other states then adopted that. And that, that was actually written by um, A. Neville, who's that famous devil devil in um rabbit proof fence that they talk about so he's an actual person these are all things that you can all look up wow. there's so much uh with the with the help of my family members we've been doing a lot of research um i've got a bit of a timeline here as well for some of the other areas and i just want to bring it back to time again you know in the in the four in on the front line of invasion on the front line of dispossession on the front line of 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 black self-determination as we know it as a response to all this stuff right here right now again we're experiencing this dispossession Ongoing displacement, you know, the, the ways in which the colony in and of itself was established and has until this day been an extractive structure. It has only ever been a space through which resources, both from the land 
inside of the land through other things and then the property market in and of itself has become a method for extraction from the land, the mm. way of engaging and taking and continuing to do so. And um, that's the structure that we exist within and, and we are coming to this day trying to speak on how these methods have informed our own tactics for survival. Mm. So what I was trying to get to, I had to, had to have a little break there because I do get on my on my shit, um, is that, you know, it's only because of the stuff I've had access to and been exposed to that I have all of this stuff, that I understand all this stuff. It's only because of all of these things and all of the work that black women are doing that I've connected these dots with other communities, which is why, you know, We've called this episode Same Shit, Different Smell as well because it's like no matter where you go, it's the same shit but it's a different smell, right? Which brings me to um, set up for my next yarn. Um, we was always told um, as a young person being dragged around to all these protests by my mother because she thought that it was a very important part of my education, just as important as school as th- at that time. So, you know, I literally had no choice going to these really volatile, a lot of the times violent, a lot of the times, you know, we were going to be bashed around by coppers and things like that. And, you know, my reasoning was always like, well, if I stay here in Redfern, I'm probably going to get bashed around by coppers anyway. Like, so it's like, well, we may as well do something constructive. May as well feel like, have a go at what it feels like to be in numbers. Because, you know, that really harks back to the colonial fears as well. Because, you know, it has to be, brought back that is why they're so scared of having us all in one place right anyway redfern is the home to largest population new south wales has always had the largest population of aboriginal people which is very interesting in the way that new south wales deals with aboriginal services and this whole you know colonial state as well um in the 60s there there was a high population so majority of the aboriginal population lived in Redfern, lived in the inner city area, which is why all of those services were created, which is why all these things were identified because all the, all these young people were escaping from the missions, coming down here for work and then realising all these other things, right? Um, so I've always been told the connection with a lot of mob in Melbourne, um, you know, a lot of the dispossession, a lot of the displacement that's been happening down there, um, these missions, um, you know, there were inquiries about how well these missions were conducting themselves and actually making money and economic basis for their people. And then they were just taken over by the state. You know, land accrued, money taken and pushed on. Um, you know, I don't want to talk about uh, uh, the Melbourne story too much. I just want to try and give a bit of a brief context. In all of my travels going down there, I was always told that it is 20 years ahead of the gentrification that is happening in Redfern. All the services that were set up in Fritz- Fitzroy were set up around the same time as the Aboriginal services in Redfern. Fitzroy was the centre, the Aboriginal centre in Melbourne at that same time. And so, you know, dealing with this now, taking a look around, it really terrifies me that I had aunties and uncles that were warning me and telling me to take a look around and really take note 
of the social issues that were happening in that community. So we're going to switch to uh, my sister girl, Arika, in Melbourne. We're going to go on a little break here at the moment and we're just going to really unpack that 20 years ahead of us in the stages of gentrification. Now, again, you know, this is all... This is all very cycles and waves and things like that. And why we need to set that up that way. And it's been really long-winded, so I'm, I'm, um, I'm heaps excited to get into this next part because you're not going to only hear my voice. You're going to hear from other black women in their communities doing this work of holding on to their communities as well as raising the next generation of people that are going to come through and break these ceilings and break these foundations and challenge these systems and to build new ones. Um, and we're going to talk to my sister Erika who has responded to some of these conversations in her very unique way. Um, Again, you know, that Melbourne story is synonymous with the Redfern story, is synonymous with every community in this country because no matter where you go, we've all been colonised and we've all been dispossessed to some extent. And again, you know, we're all experiencing that same shit. Um, I, think, I think another interesting thing when we talk about this history, the sort of the initial contact, dispossession and displacement of Indigenous communities and relating that to a context such as Melbourne. You know, it was in 1835 when John Batman mm -hmm. allegedly mm -hmm. came to a treaty with the Wurundjeri people, you know, famously forged mm -hmm. a piece of paper documentation that would swindle them out of their land. Um, and by March 1837, the lots were sold on auction by June of that year. This is... What year was that, sorry? 1930, 1837. 18, yeah. So by 1887, they were doing the same thing in WA. Mm. So as soon as they get in there, they start allotting it and giving it But these were all away, also right? these were also town planning mechanisms that they were mm. using. This is, this is why we continue to hit home this theme that gentrification is colonization the conceptualization of land in australia for white people to live on is inherently connected to settlement of this land we still exist in settle in a settlement society a settler colonial society where we are being forcibly moved and displaced mm. through the settlement mm. it's the thing about settler colonialism it settles and it's been using these kind of town pl planning technologies of surveying and building and leasing land and literally stealing that land from us in these ways that bolster a white identity in that space and i i think it's just important to remember those connections to those things that the the, the actual the processes of building those cities is what pushed us out and how they've colonized land how they've colonized our bodies is the same way they've colonized land and vice versa and again you know that's why it's so important to be celebrating the labor of black women every day and not just this one relegated week it's because they're the ones doing the work they're the ones that are reminding everybody about the desecration of the mother the all mother which is this land the earth we're going to Cut to some music for a little minute and then we'll come back with a good yarn on the on the phone. Yeah, we'll try and get that lined up and see if, um, if everyone's ready because we've got different time zones, we're crossing state lines, we're crossing all different kind of divisions right now to bring you some deadly 
black women talking about their work and how we celebrate each other. And this is my own little dedication in celebrating these wonderful, wonderful female warriors, these wonderful people that are out there doing that work. All right, you're listening to Radio Skid Row 88.9 FM. Keep it locked. You're listening to Survival Guide. Play 
plate of different games. We consist of water, muscle, blood, bone, and veins. And we all think we're thinking, but do we really use our brains? Held back by the need to get by or move like. Now weld that to the fact that 1% own the food supply. And true facts is that they don't really care who cries as 99 try to define our emotions. Confused by the kind lies. Some occupy while others see we blind us. Some make gardens. Some work towards corruption. No one fool they can be pardoned. Yet we are all connected through land, sea, and animals, which are all unprotected. We stand to see the breeding of cannibals from a human perspective, highly reflexive. And I believe in change because everybody's connected. The weather's all strange because the world's been infected. Future generations already neglected. But if we come together, we could intercept this. Put regeneration and equality first on the checklist. Make being honorable just to sort out the sexes. Change what is cool. We can empower the fools. Make respect and sharing. Become part of the rules. Take the pain that's staring. Show the youth that they're jewels with nothing but the truth is our tool. And love, I guess, too. Hey, the future is you, 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 you. Speak the truth. Teach the youth. There ain't no excuse. Heal the bruise. Love it soothes. Put your heart to use. the question are you ready to transform your life i answer yes no more strife i know that i'm blessed and i want to live right diagnosed emotional digestion steady with its former knife i don't want it left i know what it's like and i will fight the stress work with it day and night now the time for planning to walk the line i'm standing my talk defines my handling with chalk outline demanding my flight my height my landing knowing where i'm headed Flowing alone, soul embedded in all that surrounds me. So I invest in that which is sound and unbound. See, my interest is in now, all the whys and all the hows, free. Filled with honour and presence, my spirit's strong in essence. I hear it hope for preference, known full, I am the reference. So I now must know my worth. I must arise amongst the hurt. I won't despise the red alert, but I'll wear it, shorts and shirt care because I can work towards a far healthier earth for the children of tomorrow and the sorrow that we've birthed bring the peace back to mind though I cannot rewind the time I know that there are pieces I can find to decrease the creasing lines statistical trauma generationally warmer trapped in the corner of what we can and what we order I just want fresh air, clean water for yours, my sons and daughters balance with our talents bringing our living into order Cause the insanity drives the vanity, thrives off humanity's inabilities. To wake up, see more, shake up the keyboards of inequality. To be more, what we need to be, to breathe more fresh air. To show our future that we do care to make one. Otherwise we're going to take one and break one, forsake one and hate oneself. For not having dealt, for tightening the belt on a pressure that is far too widely felt. Am I ready to transform, show the elders I can dance more, take my proper stance more? Cause life's really a dance hall, but more thought out like the man's wall. 
Now I know where I stands all, for all. For every time I got up after my grand falls, or even though I know I'm flawed, yes I see the problems, know the cause, and I can heal all my soul's sores, making sure I love with my whole core. And I think more about the old law, the reasons for the sea's shore, crystal waves, restless ocean floor, turn and page forever changing, rearranging each grain, part of an ancient chain, cycle, circle, circus, cure. We live unsustainably, humanness no longer pure. So much for future children to endure. Maintaining merchants with each and every unsustainable purchase. Believing it's worthless, deceiving our minds, thieving the blind, breathing the grime and receiving the rhyme. Waiting on the end of all time, which will only come about if we continue this crime. Unless, when proposed the question, are you ready for the quest? The human race could say yes. We will clean the mess. The blame's not worth the stress. We choose to change, for the least is of the biggest and the most is of the less. We choose to visualise a future, a continuum of life. For the future and its children, we will rise, we will unite. Ice caps are melting as every day passes by. The planet's unhealthy. We're surrounded by hows and whys. Working for wages, hearing the children cry. Feeding our families as they teach our kids to be blind. Humanness undermined, freedom still undefined. Is there a need to change direction? Does our future need protection? Do we have time to keep discretion? There's answers to these questions. And we're back with the survival guide. Taking you right through to 2pm on this special Black Friday. Friday the 13th. Um, the last day of the official NAIDOC week celebrations as well. All you mob out there, um, have you have have you been to a NAIDOC day celebration? Are there any around you to actually go out there and, you know, um, dwell a bit more into your allyship, I guess? Um, you know, every six months, I guess, you have to fill your quota. You either go to an invasion day march or you come to a NAIDOC week celebration um what's been happening around you today we've got ncie's um nadoc day celebrations community celebrations inner city celebrations um i could you know go on and critique how hard it is to have any kind of community interaction between communities inter-community interaction when there's nothing planned for the whole week and then everybody has all of their stuff on the one day um i'm just complaining because i've got to rush to glebe after this and um and uh participate in their celebrations and share some of my poetry um that'll be later on this afternoon so there's a huge nadoc celebration happening at the ncie in redfern at the moment um in george street there get down there if you're around near the city and if you've got some time later get down to glebe glebe nadoc week celebrations there's also a lot of after parties a lot of opportunities to um for the adults to get out there um there's an there's a NADOC week after party tonight at the Manning Bar. There's one tomorrow night with Electric Fields, who we was just playing, um, who we're going to be performing at the Carriage Works for Club Curry. And then we've got Nookie, Rebecca Hack at the Lansdowne on Sunday. 
Can we get any more busy all in one weekend? It's deadly, but, but you know. Hopefully we get to see all you guys around. I mean, it's always fun when there's more blackfellas in the space. Yeah, let's just black places out because, you know, they really get scared because as we've kind of been unpacking, there's the reason why they've been keeping us all separated and in silos and in these, um, you know, very controlled situations. I I'm gonna make I'm gonna I'm gonna be a, a bit of a a bit of you know I I really wanted to get onto some mob down there but I think we're gonna have to save that for another time so I'm just left to make my observations I guess from the things that I've noticed with um you know what people like Uncle Mick Edwards and Annie Glenda Thorpe have been telling me since I was 19 going down there is to take a look around at Fitzroy in Melbourne take a look around at you know where the black faces are um take a look around at the fact that you have to travel um a fair bit because Melbourne spread out to even visit family you know and a lot of times as a 19 year old going up there and getting opportunities to work because I got more opportunities to work outside of my community than what I did inside my community for a very long time. I'm only kind of starting to get more work in my community and being invited into spaces to talk about all of this stuff, um, you know, which is huge. Um, but as a young woman going down there after being taken down there by my mother, being introduced to all my extended family, being explained how those rivers connect us that river is, uh, you know, become a state state line. So they've ultimately, you know, used one of our natural boundaries to keep us separated again. And you know, we've got we we've, we've we've got accounts and inquiries, state inquiries into Corrindirk, which was then turned into a play about how the state just took over a very successful model and framework that were created by Aboriginal people even back then in the 1800s. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to speak for mob, but again, you know, I'm, I'm only talking about what I've noticed and what I've noticed with my extended families down there. Um, this is one of the reasons why there's so many Wiradjuri people in in Melbourne. And it's because of all those all of those places where all the different clans met that were then destroyed and it meant that all of those people then had to move to another place and then set down roots and then that was then taken over because they were making money for themselves trying to build a hospital, um, you know, and schools and things like that and choirs and it's the same, it's a very similar story to what happened at that salt salt pan, uh, salt, oh, I'm saying it wrong, it was the camp. Salt Pan Creek. It was the camp that was the predecessor for the La Perouse community. They were famous for their shell work. They still are famous for their shell work. These people are still here in this community and they totally get they totally get talked over. And, you know, I I really want to be able to use this opportunity to give other black women a voice in this. But it feels like again, you know what I was saying, it feels like every black woman I know is way too busy today because because of the theme, we're totally booked out. And it's like, why? Where, where can we relax? Where can we take stock of this, you know? Even here right now, I'm trying to get onto my, my deadly sister girls and, and you know, it's, it's getting a bit hard. And it's like, I just shake my head. I just shake my head at the coordination of it all because it's like, you know, 
you celebrate black women, but then the black women need to coordinate that celebration as well. Um, yeah, I can go on and on and on. In Melbourne, though, one thing that I always noticed was that there's a concentration of black faces on Gertrude Street still to this day. And it's very, um, you know, I was always reminded um, being down there that Gertrude Street was very much the Melbourne version of Redfern Street. That's where all the services were set up. That's where their frameworks that were then the ripple effect coming from Redfern and because of the extended family's connections, that those things went national within two, three years of establishing. And that's Aboriginal legal services, Aboriginal medical services, Aboriginal controlled early learning centres as well. Um, you know, down there, I think it's a very interesting kind of comparison right now. And I'm doing a really basic sort of overview. And I can't stress that enough because it's, it's, it's worth a look into. Melbourne mob, they, Victoria is a smaller state. If you look at the missions and where they were established in New South Wales and compare that to Victoria, that being a smaller state, there are a smaller number of missions, which meant that they had more control over the population and the population, tra the, the transient population as well. Um, you know, there was there were people that were being treated disgustingly by, you know, German missionaries and that would take off to safe havens, to missions that they knew were kind of safe and that they could actually hold on to their culture and practice it and have that strength. Um, you know, and it's because of these protests, again, that a lot of my mob have ended up in Melbourne on Wurundjeri country, um, you know, which again is what we're talking about, right? Here in Sydney, I'm a Radjuri person. We're both Radjuri people and we've grown up on Gadigal land. Um, you know, and this is a diaspora that uh, we've, I've been talking about because you have to call it what it is. It is a diaspora. And a lot of issues that we have today actually come from this. In Sydney here, you know, we always talk about um, Redfern being made up of a lot of um, North Coast, South Coast mob as well as that LARPA connection, as well as a lot of Radrick and Milleroy mob, as well as a lot of Queensland mob and as well as a lot of Melbourne mob. Redfern, Redfern has always been a place where our mob have been coming and there's always been mob welcoming them there since, since literally like for as long as we know. And that's why, again, you know, Redfern is so... The functionality of Redfern and Waterloo as a community, it harks back to something so ancient, but yet, you know, within that colonial paradigm, but there's also modern. And it's just, it's just continuing. It's just, just continuing the positions that we have to fulfil in order to make sure that our people are safe no matter where they be. And it's the direct opposite of what's been happening in this country with the built environment, with housing, how, how we've been controlling Aboriginal population and, and um, that movement, Aboriginal movement on our land. You know, it goes back to the policies as well, what, what I briefly talked about before, the protection policies. And, um, you know, you look at the, the difference and the evolution of the policies around 
um, Aboriginal control, Aboriginal movement, um, you know, the control of that movement and then our populations. They've been experimenting with our people and how we live and how we interact and how we talk and how we think and how we look and how we dress, literally everything since they got here. You know, and it's a it's 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 worth a it's worth a look to connect all these dots again. You know, because what happens when communities get destroyed, we have a population that needs to go somewhere. And I guess in my community, you know, that population, that big, big population has been moved out west and outside of Sydney. So, you know, all of these all of these things, they don't actually get rid of, they don't actually address the problem, they just move it to another place on top of already existing problems. Um, I wrote a poem about, about this. I wrote a poem about my community. Um, I've been talking, I, I just wanted to mention this because it was beautiful and it really got me thinking. Um, just during my talks with um, my sister girl, my cousin, um, Erika, she was talking about how she was inspired to write a poem. Um, you know, she wrote a poem responding to this to this subject, um, and it wasn't until she found an old photo that she came to the realization that that's really all she has today is photos of that community, and you know that's kind of the situation that we're looking at right now. Um, our community is changing so much that literally all I have right now are kind of poems. Poems and photos and my older brother and sister's memories. And they remind me about what how strong my community was, um, you know, and it's only due to living in such a colonial society that I realise how much of a strong foundation that I have been given by black women in my community. So can you imagine... That ripple effect, what's been happening all over this country for the last 230 years? Anyway, I wrote a poem about this situation and I'm just going to share it um, as a response to it. We've been sharing um, poetry and music by black women and again, I just want to chuck this out there. Um, so this is a poem that I wrote about trying to describe what's going on. And I called it Child's Play. Gone are the days where these streets were safe to play, where mothers told young black boys and girls that they could walk or run any which way they chose. Because it didn't matter how much fun you had, you paved pathways with hand-me-down shoes. We stayed out all afternoon, blinded by the summer haze, cause the sun didn't go down till we finished our last game of tips of roundies or hopscotch. Chases with no boundaries, tiny hands clutching silver pieces, swap them for candy hearts and eucalyptus drops, gummy teeth and pop tops, two dollar chips and everyday staple. How mischievous were we in our schemed wild roaming stables, craved for togetherness cause that's all we had inside a, con a concrete jungle, social experiments in government labs. My dad was stronger than your dad, I bragged, when the truth was I hadn't seen him since winter. I missed having fights with a certain boy even though I liked the way he rode his bike cause it was my favourite colour, till one boy was impaled on a pike, pushed by flashing lights and I didn't like that red no more. 
especially when I seen it chasing the blues to my front door. My home has changed. Not safe to roam, to walk, to run or ride a bike no more. Harassed and stripped, searched by older men who also wore blue uniforms. Or was it ever really home? I can't recall or hold on to that thought like jars can't keep foam. I mean, what did I really know? I know that black was safe and white was not. I knew when I could sense the presence of a cop every day till today, even as a grown child girl, I don't feel the same in my makeshift world. One that was created with discarded parts others did not want to use with their art or their plans for a brighter future. I was promised there's no fear in a laugh and learn to speak so that I don't offend and it never ends. Not allowed to breathe or start something you never intended to finish. We were fish following the current of the city flow. No one knew which way to go. We didn't say it out loud, but we followed though. Weaved a course that none of us knew other than how to not get caught out or left behind. Was key to being able to find base. Camp was flat, hiding behind the big bad city rats who scurried in the dark and hid, ready to jump out on some unsuspecting kid that one he didn't know no better. And he had his most prized feather, plucked, pulled, wrangled, controlled, tarred and tethered. And then Waterloo had its own set of new rules. No more playtime, no more Redfern school. So much confusion, so much hurt. Little black girls weren't allowed to wear skirts. With such an anger and such self-hate, the boys I grew up with started to self-medicate. Now I see a price on something I used to get for free. A strong black community, the black bone of resistance, shedding its skin to reveal the dollar sign. Gatekeepers entice the masses in. Because there's no more black faces to keep reminding them of their unintentional sins. They rip that power apart, dividing our skins with white limbs. All this in a place where we were all fighting for some space to free fall onto a soft patch of grass where toilet paper trees burnt in a row illuminating the start of the beginning of the end of this life and its black heart. Wow. <laughs> going to go to a song. Let that sink in, guys. We're going <laughs> to cut to a song. song. Stay tuned. 88.9 FM, Skid Row Radio, The Survival Guy with Joel and Lorna. You could love yourself We'd have a big house And a big old tree for us And no one else What's hiding behind Those sad eyes Don't start with those lies I can only love you twice As much before you fuck this up You're clumsy
survival guide on radio skid row 88.9 and we've got we we've we've got a deadly strong black woman's voice from melbourne another one of my teachers another auntie comes from a big black proud family down there in melbourne as well annie glenda thorpe how you going fantastic how are you and how's everybody out there in in sydney land we're, we're trying to band together and we're trying to celebrate what little bit of blackness we're holding on to at the moment. Yes. We, 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 I was just critiquing the theme about how um, because of her we can um, and how relegating that celebrating Aboriginal women to one week has been triggering more black women. It means more work from black women. Yes. Well, that's true, and it's sad that it's always we only get a couple of days to do these things and showcase the work that people do every day, day in, 24-7, you know. It's um, it's a sad situation, and it needs to be something that we celebrate consistently. Mm. You know, our young fellows are only seeing it in NATO time, and if you're not a part of those celebrations, which are being, you know, um, you know, closed into a week well then you're not you're not really if you're not a part of that you're not seeing it you're not mm. you know so many people miss out mm. so many because what i find with the nadoc stuff and i don't want to bag nadoc but you know it's mostly um organization driven and it's not in the loop with the organization you miss out on so many things yeah that's right and that's kind of what we've been noticing here um in Sydney, and especially just because, like, you know, it's supposed to be the centre of the national celebrations, and yeah. there kind of hasn't been a lot of coordinating going on. So there hasn't... People have been coming here and they've been like, what's going on in Sydney and stuff like that? Yeah. Is there anything I can do? And then um, there's nothing all through the week, and then everybody wants to do all the same thing on the same day. So yeah. then it means that our communities can't can't have that crossover and celebrate with each other as well. And, um, yeah. you know, that's the sort of stuff that I grew up really really valuing um that's right you you had the opportunity to go to just about every event you know yeah Ours have been spread out over a two-week period and that's become that might be okay but then it's i don't know what's happened here in victoria about when we do our nadoc which is last week but there's still nadoc stuff happening all this week and i think it's to do with the rest of the country um celebrating nadoc this week was there a change of a date or something i don't know but it's like as I said, if you're not in the loop, 
with what's going on and who, and you know, depending on what organisation you're associated with, you pretty much don't get, um, you're not in the know. And so pretty much everyone knows that the march is on. People go to that. Mm. And if you can afford it, you go to the other, you know, fancy events. But the general open day events have become very exclusive to just people who are part of those organisations. Mm. Um, I, I was just saying at the start of this show, you know, I think that we've got it really twisted. How come all all of the, the men and the children and the men are encouraging the children to be, you know, serving black women in the communities, profiling them, talking them up? Because, you know, we've, I, don't, I don't know, it just means that, it, yeah, it's, it's a really kind of um, elitist thing sometimes too. It is a bit. Um, and it's um, it's sad that it has to take something, you know, like our well, you know, that it's only happening during the NAIDOC work process. You know, I did I know that I'm really proud of the of the Living Black um, episode on that was um, focused on my mum, and it was mm. absolutely wonderful. But you know, it's um, it's the only time she gets a bit of a mention, and so so many of these other deadly um, Aboriginal women that were part of the fight in the early days. And mm. it's, all too often they get very forgotten and they get sad about all that too, you know. And, you know, for mum, she gets a little bit angry sometimes. And so she continues to get out there and, and give them a ripping about it. But then does it have to take that mm. for people to be reminded? And, and, um, and, where, and you know, so the role modelling stuff is not is just in, in gaps. So it only happens in certain times when it should be happening consistently. And I guess I was, you know, being a young person coming down there, I was extremely lucky to, you know, be sent to UMOB and stay with UMOB yes. and be introduced to Aniyama and, you know, be that's taken right. to her house and be taken yeah. to all these services. Um, but just for our listeners, Ani, could you just give a little um, talk, uh, just talk a little bit about your mum and about the work that she's been doing in the community down there? Just because, you know, we really want to celebrate black women. Yeah, and absolutely. Give that well, as well. Firstly, I'd recommend people have a look at that episode on um, Living Black. It was aired on um, Wednesday night. Um, so it's it's absolutely, you know, it's heart wrenching. But it, you know, and Mum's getting a bit older, but she's still got a good um, memory on her, and she still pulls a punch. So um, <laughs> she can, but she was fundamental in um, in establishing the Victorian Aboriginal Health Service, of course, which was the second one to the um, Redfern Medical Service. Mm. And what those services did, they became the central point for people to connect to. Mm. You know, and in those days, blackfellas were, you know, they, were they, didn't know, they didn't know where they were coming from. So obviously it was the end. It was a time when people were looking for their mobs, looking for their families. And the health service wasn't just a place where you can go and see a doctor. And that was the fundamental ideal of the whole philosophy of Aboriginal health. It was about looking at all of the other aspects of, of one's um, well-being mm. as to how they can, you know, become healthy and well. So it was fundamental for that. And so there's so many things, that, um, aspects that that reached across. And in the, in the documentary, it talks about when mum went to overseas and, and, you know, um, talked to the UN and did things, um, went to China and, and looked at the ways that they developed their um, um, their healing. And it was through encouraging people within the community to take on those roles mm -hmm. was the most important way to get 
good health messages out to the community. And that was via what we called the Aboriginal Health Worker. It's changed in many ways, but fundamentally, they were the connecting people. So Fitzroy was very much the place where Aboriginal people came to, were drawn to, and didn't matter what day of the week or what, what part time of the year, something was happening. There was something interesting to find out. There was so much going on, and it wasn't just about NAIDOC week. So, mm. you know, we were doing it all the time. We had the Koori Information Centre, so if you wanted to find out about what mm. was, you know, other political issues that were going on and be a part of that, you were welcome to. So it was all about being welcome and becoming a part of doing stuff within your, with your mob. Mm. And that was the important part of the Aboriginal Health Service. And that was mum's philosophy around ensuring that that carried into the future. So, you know, doing things like, um, um, you know, she, she, she went to the UN and, um, and they put a paper up to the World Health Organization um, to change their philosophy around the, um, the health, how the um, healthcare delivery was, mm. um, how it was delivered. And because yeah. it was back in those days, it was basically focused on, and that's in the Western medical world, based on your physical health only. So mm. go and see a doctor, get a pill, and you should be all right, mate. You know, mm. that sort of attitude. They fundamentally changed that philosophy to, be, to, what, to that of just, not just being a physical um, well-being, but the total health. Mm. And that was a fundamental thing that was changed in the World Health Organization. And that was done by the Victorian Aboriginal Health, Victorian Aboriginal Health Service, through my mum, um, Bruce McGuinness, and Dr. Bill Roberts. So it was, that's a huge change in how things played out into the future. Mm. So there's so many things, but that's just one of them. Mm. It is one of the many things that the Aboriginal community in Melbourne were really active in, you know? Mm-hmm. And mum will always say, but it wasn't just me, you know, it was a lot of people. And she still to this day says, that, you know, everybody, everybody had a part in it. And that was the key to having a healthy community, that everybody needed to be informed. Everybody needed to feel that they had a um, role to play. And everybody um, became a part of that uh, moving forward. Mm-hmm. So that was really important. And I, I do remember you talking about um, what happened. You know, you, you mentioned something about um, what happened to Fitzroy and how mm. come the community was dispersed out of that. And that was, you know, through the nature of gentrification mm. of um, of suburbs. And, um, you know, it was um, horrendous, you know, because Fitzroy, Collingwood and those inner suburbs around the city, they were the poorest of the poor. Mm. Nobody wanted to live there. Mm. Only black followers, criminals, and whoever else, you know. Mm. So you were, and then gentrification came in, which meant that, you know, the the um, middle class were buying up, wanted to start to live in the in those inner suburbs, which because it was closer to the city, so mm. therefore the market, you know, the market housing market prices went up, land land prices went up, and they moved people out by the droves. Um, and re-establish you... communities, you know, in Preston and then Mill Park and then out far, far out, you know, further out. Mm. When do you, wh- what year do you reckon that would have um, been very, like, evident? It would have been around seen... the 90s, I'd say. Mm. 
because we were thriving. You could see that there was a move and there was a gentrification, but we weren't fully aware of the impact of that. We knew that it was harder and harder to get public housing in mm. in those suburbs, and then you pretty much the only thing that was available were the high-rise flats. And then you started to realise that, I suppose, in, further into the 90s, that you were... There was a you could see the big um, movement through public housing out to the um, outer suburbs, mm. and that then became difficult. That meant that people, you know, in a way, it's a, by design, it's a dispersal of people yeah. so that you couldn't congregate. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've been talking about: colonial tactics of divide and, and conquer, population right. control, um, yes. Aboriginal movement, and ultimately, you know, our access to our land. Um, that's right. And that's what it keeps coming back back to. Um, and I think, though, you know, when I was younger and, you know, coming down there and and I, I used to love coming down there, you know, still do, but I don't get right. too much with baby. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a production now. But, um, you know, those those conversations that I had with, with you fellas down there have really informed the way that I approach my work right now um, and why we're, we're actually doing this show is to try and unpack... Um, the connections between all of these things. So we're yes. looking at how we survived colonisation in the past um, and trying to find those tools and those survival mechanisms that our people That's have right. found for themselves in order to try and move through the future. How do we navigate into this future? And I think those conversations, you know, when we were down, when I was down there with you, Mob, um, started when we were try- when you wanted to take me to say to see everyone else. It was always yes. a big drive. You know, yes. like it was really hard for me to understand that at the time. Come on, jump in the car, let's go and see yeah. this place. Because it was really important that people were, um, in, in, you know, met people. Mm, and you know, and young, didn't matter where, how young you were, because that's really important. It was important that you met the old aunties that were driving the, driving the, you know, yeah. driving it all. And it because the transfer of information is what's important. Mm. The oral information, you can't, you can't beat it. Mm. And, you know, just the pride you have in being able to sit there and listen to some of these fantastic, you know, intelligent, smart, you know, people who drove us into this future. Mm. So we know that, you know, by ways of government and bureaucracy, those things were always going to be capped on us. Mm. And they've done well, tried, done it. They've tried and tried, but we're still around. And so we know that organisations have become very prescribed prescribed in their delivery, prescribed in their governance, prescribed in their funding. Mm. And we knew, we know now that at those places can't drive these issues anymore. Mm. So what do we do? Mm. We have to go back to the old way of congregating back again in people's houses and coming up with what are we going to do now? So we go to mum's or we'll go to, you know, whoever's place it is because there's no, because you can't now get a service to that other, mm. you know, for their fear of being tagged political and 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 whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So it's like you feel you feel like that you, you know, you, that, of course they used us, and you know all those things around, you know, our ideas that were that mm. were put up in those periods. And then mm. it's like, yeah, well, we'll take your idea and we'll run with it. We'll change it the way we want, and then you know, see years later. But we have continued to stick with the old fundamental fundamentals of how we need to do it, mm. how we need to get information to our people, how do we congregate and how do we really sit down and have the true discussion mm. about what's going on, you know, this treaty mm. stuff for a start. 
you know, which is the biggest thing on the agenda right now. Mm-hmm. People still walk around and say, well, you know, I don't, I'm confused. Mm-hmm. I'm confused. And we, you know, we know that in back in those days, we had, we, we sat down with a lot of people who gave different versions about what they thought it was. And we came, we all came out with a consensus of how mm-hmm. to move forward. That's not happening. Mm-mm. There's no consensus about anything. It's that this is how it's going to be. And sadly enough, sadly, it's the people in the paid position who are driving it all. Mm. And that's the sadness of it. So how do we how do we combat that? How do we get around that question? How do we how do we say to our young people, look, we know that you need to go out there and 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 get work, and we know mm. that you need to, but don't be fooled that you know by just being a part of an organisation that's going to pay you a, a, an income, that you're actually now competent and fully understanding about the issues involved with Aboriginal people, because you're not. Mm, yeah, no, Unless that's you right. have the background and the fundamental understanding of, firstly, what happened to this country when they mm. invaded it mm. rather than um, colonised it. So if you haven't got those fundamental understandings, well, we're in trouble, and we are. Mm. So, and, and that's basic. That's very basic stuff that the whole populations, um, you know, they have that cognitive dissonance over because nobody wants to admit that they have a lot of privilege to leverage. Nobody wants yeah. to admit that they benefit from their murderous grandparents, yes. Um, yes. you know, and right. everything that happened for them to have access to that and why we that's don't right. have access to that. Um it's and saying sorry is not a, not enough. Well, so, well, that's sorry right. on any terms because you know you have to have an action. You have to put something in place to say that it'll never happen again. Yeah. You know, so whether that's the stolen generations or whether that's you know the trickery that goes on with um, our people in you know possibly over um, over treaty. You know, mm. it's just it's been taken away. I remember it was land rights. That's right. Um, you <laughs> That's know, treaty, we've always fought for. treaty feels totally. like the buzzword at the moment. Yes, well, it is because that's how we get um, brainwashed into thinking that that's the ultimate thing. Mm. You know, you, when you've been around long enough, and you have too, Lorna. I so know. You, and you've been I'm not around that old. long enough to know how the trickery works. Mm-hmm. So we know fundamentally in this country they don't want mm. to re- recognise this whole situation about Aboriginal people and our mm. sovereignty. Mm. We're not talking about that. I mean, what the hell are you talking about? And well, we can't sit honestly at a table and say that we're on the same page. No, and they don't even want to have the conversation. No, because we get, still get treated like dumb black fellows. Mm, um, and sadly, we've got a lot of our fellows mm-hmm. who have you know, got different ideas and views. And so we get played off. Well, we have a whole industry here in Sydney that is, you know, I've been calling black gentrifiers um, yes. because they literally, they have nothing to do with the communities that they work in, but they will take yes. that job. And, um, you know, I really wonder how much money, how much value this community is getting out of how much money is going through these organisations and funding this whole other industry that doesn't quite service the community. Um, right. You know, and that's kind of kind of what we've been unpacking um, within our show. Um, we've been talking specifically about housing, um, yeah. you know, and looking at how we've come to this point now. Um, what does it mean for our, our 
our young people in the community because I've been working with the schools as well for the last couple mm-hmm. of years, going to the schools, yep. trying to talk to the kids about these huge concepts and things that you know might they they're not they're not talked about as important issues within the school mm. system. Um, you know, but no, they're, they're, not. they're things that they have to literally um, deal with as soon as they leave that that school, That's um, right. those areas, and that you know we have um, so many issues. Um, going on there and on top of the issues that are already existing there we have a rat plague because they're knocking everything down you know we have all these health issues and then we have all these social issues as well about people that have been living there for generations that are very um reliant on the services there and the community there being moved out on top of you know that mass diaspora after 2004 with the the riots um you know and getting rid of a whole generation of people my age um, yeah. and and moving them out outside of sydney and and um you know to mount druitt and we've talked about the yeah. demographic and the population shifting um and 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 things like that so i just wanted to um ask just about that housing stuff again i was we was just talking about how a lot of the plans we're having to piece together this stuff because one minute they say one thing and then they do another and this is the official yeah. government sort of information that's put out um, yeah. to the rest of the community. And there's just like a lot of confusion um, yeah. about it. There still hasn't been any community forums as well. Um, mm. We're still arguing with Aboriginal organisations for space to be able to even conversate and unpack these issues. And then when we did have space, it's kind of been taken away and then hijacked. And then, yeah. you know, we've we've been given a mic and uh, and a show on, you know, the the... The, the radio broadcast, community broadcasting system after being told to be quiet for so long. So, you know, yeah. we're just really running with this opportunity and just really trying to unpack this and to find those tools um, of surviving um, and, you know, based on how our old people have survived and then based on right. how, the work that the that black women have been doing in these communities. Yeah. And, um, and what, you know, so you get forced into this, get backed up into this situation where you have to um, comply you know, mm. I need a home. Mm. I have to comply, otherwise I'm going to be homeless. And then often, you know, the situation is that I've got a family, I've got mm-hmm. little kids to look after, or I've got grandma to look after. What am I going to do? Housing is almost impossible. Mm. It is so hard. What I've questioned around, um, our, we've got Aboriginal housing in Victoria here, and they've got houses all over the, over the state, but it's very welfare-based. Mm. So, you know, I, I said, well, look, look I work. So why why wouldn't I be why aren't I um, eligible for an Aboriginal housing house? And it posed the question, and they because they're so used to dealing with the welfare, you know, every if you're on the dole, if you're on a benefit, if you're on a pension, you fit their criteria. Mm. Well, isn't the first criteria about being Aboriginal? Mm. So that's the question I posed with them, and I said this is not fair. You know, I've got near next to no opportunity to get a home because of my family. I've grown up and gone, I'm on my own. Mm. So those are the questions that make it even more harder for every age group of the of the whole Aboriginal sector. Mm-hmm. So it's about whether these organisations are empathetic to or sympathetic to the needs of their community or are they just running the prescribed um, dialogue of government and, and, and you know, compliance. So... That's going to fight your. So many people in Sydney are going to be so displaced about this once these um, buildings are torn down and mm. they, they create these um, 
new ideas around um, 70, 30, or I think in Fitzroy, the Fitzroy flat, mm. they've got private rental, you've got public housing rental, and you can also purchase these, these places. Mm. I'm not sure whether how they're going. I don't. I think they might be okay. But you've got to have a really um, forward-thinking and sympathetic council mm. that will ensure that there's... Um, good diversity, because you know, it's all about that stuff too. Mm-hmm. So it was also making sure that the, um, you know, the, the, the um, people weren't buying up the properties in Fitzroy mm-hmm. under, um, you know, private ownership. So there's, sometimes there's good, and if your housing company <laughs> has, has got some forethought around that, they will really step in and ensure that they, they capture Mm. housing for Aboriginal people so there's not the displacement mm. of moving them out to these outer suburbs like Mount Druitt and that. Mm. That's going to be, it's, it'll cripple people. Well, and, well, um, it, it and but it's also has, desi- by design to disperse mm-hmm. Aboriginal people into the assimilation mm. of the mainstream. Mm. And that's what they've been doing to us for 230 well, years. That's right. Um it's it's already it's already really really hit a crucial point because we've gone from a population of like six sixty something thousand in the sixties to three hundred Aboriginal families in Red Farm wow. Waterloo now. So That's you know huge. it is it really is, and we know it. You know they they've they've closed down the local schools and amalgamated them all into yeah. one. There's been you know we've been unpacking all of these things and what it looks like. Um, within our series that we've been doing here yeah. um and um the the thing is is that to just last week um there was an announcement about how there's been a block of land across the road from redfern park um yeah. that was literally just given to developers as wow. a rent to buy uh what is a build to rent scheme Oh. Yeah, so there's all these really really so, kind of, you know you'd have to ask the question why wasn't it given over to an aboriginal Group. Well, the thing is, is that the the all these things are in a trust. They're supposed to be managed in a trust, right, for for the community. And we have we we don't even know what's going on. Like they just make these announce. They come up with these yeah. experiments again, and yeah. then you know trial them, and then that's the space to to test out again in a space that they've been testing a lot of social experiments out on our people. You know, right mm, there in Sydney. Um, with assimilation, right. with housing, with population control, movements, controlling movements, all that sort of stuff. The, the sad thing is, and I have to, you know, is that um, the idea that, and I said it before, that um, the only connection people do have is by working in an Aboriginal organisation. Mm. But they're not necessarily um, an Aboriginal organisation that follows the same philosophy of what we've talked about. Mm. And they're just a prescribed body called an Aboriginal organisation, but, they, you know, anyone can be employed there and their philosophies and policies and procedures don't necessarily um, um, underpin the um, situation with Aboriginal people. It's like it's been washed away. Mm. So there's a false identity going on mm. of who we are and what, you know. So we have to get back to basically being black. That's right. And do it the way we, our ancestors did it again. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And that means sitting around a fire, having some true conversations about what our needs are. Mm. Well, we and know that works. That's right. That's right. And it's sad, though, you know, we, we're too suspicious of each other and it's not good to be, you know, but that's what has, that's what has been 
designed to be too. Mm. It's um, playing people against each other and that type of thing. But I think the younger fellows um, don't be fooled that that um, government will change things. We have to change it ourselves. We prove that mm. over the generations and decades mm-hmm. that the only change that ever happened mm-hmm. for our mob was when we did it ourselves. Mm. Not with anyone, not with funding, not with anything. About with true heart and and vision. Ah, oh, that's the deadliest note to leave it on, Glenda. Yeah. Um, so happy to talk to you. Yeah, it's been deadly catching up and it's been great to be able to, you know, share that platform that I have right yeah. now and to be able to, you know, create a, create a space where other people can learn from people I've learnt from and yeah. that's what's so important for me um, and okay. I value so much and that's the stuff that, you know, gets me through the days. So um, proud of you. So proud of you. Mm. And, it's, and just on another note is that it's often it takes, you know, there's a 30-year turnaround and things get the same question gets asked again so mm. possibly it's that time that's right um, motivate and um and, and make the movement because mm. young people aren't going to sit by especially young people like yourself who have um seen this struggle and seen what it's going to turn into mm. and others are asking the question but not really sure what to ask well we have to you know because we're raising babies that's right. We're raising so, babies like, you know, what, what again, you fellas do. again that same catch guy. What do you want? Mm, that's it. We want our land right. rights and it's still, still that's this conversation right. gets changed. Rights, you might, you know, land rights, you pull that apart and you and you really drive down into what that means. Yeah, it's, it's about access. It's not just access. two words. Yeah, it's about access. It's about benefiting yeah. from that access. It's about being able to build an economic base for ourselves. That's right. And have space, right. you know, and that's, that's all. Right. We, that's all we've been talking about um, right. for a very long time, you know, and in, in all these different corners of the country as well. Um, yeah. So thank you so much right. for no taking time worries. out today. Um, much love to the family, and um, yeah, thanks again for just being okay. a day, Auntie. Stay black, stay beautiful, mm. stay strong. I will. You too. Hey, everybody. Bye. Bye, Dom. Oh my God. Oh my God. She's just amazing. I'm sorry. I just feel so refreshed giving me life, black women, and I hope it's given you life too. We ready for a little break? We're just going to cut to some music and then we'll be back with um, another interview. interview. We're going to the other side of the country at WA. Some more beautiful, strong black women. Thank you so much to Glenda Thorpe for all of the amazing wise words. And that whole matriarchy. Thank you. Sipping on honey trippin', I took the arm and flipped and let the winter pain dig in Till the day you're ready to cry Sister, let's try Oh, no, you never talk about it, and that's why it shows Hear me, you'll be bluffin', puffin' on the truth, I lace up, I be healed Caught in the Hello, we are back on the air with Survival Guide with Joel and Lorna on Radio Skid Row and we've got another deadly black woman in her community working, doing the work, doing the labour, needs to be celebrated every day, not just this week. My mother-in-law, 
up in Kununurra. Selena Nuri Davy, would you like to introduce your proper self instead of hello, hello, you mob, Ganiwaranongod, I'm Nawala, Nawala Lunmi Murongawalong. Um, so my guardian name is Selena Nuri, and my skin name is Nawala, and my bush name is Lunmi. I'm a grassroots Murong woman from Garden Area, one of our in-town communities um, up in the northeast, Kimberley, and staunch advocate for for grassroots community and culture. Mm. Um, what what's where where are we calling you from? Where are you at right now? I'm in Kununurra, uh, northeast Kimberley, which is right at the top of Western Australia, um, 40 kilometres from the Northern Territory border. Mm. So we are about 800 kilometres from Darwin and about 1,200 kilometres in the other direction to Broome. So we're very isolated up here. Um, yeah, we're classed as a remote regional town. We have lots of surrounding uh, remote communities. All my mob, um, we've got all of our communities everywhere. And then we have lots of other communities outside of Merong, Dawang, outside of Merong country, um, throughout, scattered throughout the rest of the East Kimberley as well. Mm. So um, your daughter, your beautiful, wonderful daughter, who's always such a great support to me, has been giving me a huge brief rundown of the history um, up there and how Kununurra sort of come to be. Um, and we've been talking about how it was really 1885 in the whole national timeline of things, with the cattle being brought across from Queensland to K- to Kununurra area. And, um, you know, a lot of the the white men getting into the in- interior and it was basically for industry and stuff like that. Um, so do you want to, I don't know, ju- just jump in? Because, um, you know, yeah. I'm, I just got basic understanding and I'm down here in Sydney trying to connect all of these narratives together and just really trying to get people to connect what's happening here on the front line of invasion that's been happening everywhere that again in turn is happening again here um, with gentrification and all of the social issues and some of the things the projections um, what what is it that we're going to be facing in the future because of you know ultimately population control um, mm-hmm. controlling Aboriginal movement and controlling our access to land. Definitely. Um, okay, so we did have, as you just stated, we had the killing times up here in the Kimberley. Um, I won't... What date range that was? So in front of me. Big um, time up in the Kimberley. Um, during that time, over 150 of my family were actually massacred um, up in one of our communities in there. Oh. The person. Sorry, it's it's breaking up a little bit. Are you? Yep. Are you right? Um, the the people that actually um, did that massacre were two pioneers, as they were called, up in the Kimberley, and one of our main streets in town is actually named after them. The name is, the road is Weaver Plains Road. Um, we've been saying, my brother and our family, a very long time because we shouldn't be yeah. Hold all on. over the whole country. I'm, so, um, I'm sorry to stop you, but we've got a, uh, it keeps breaking up and um, crackling. 
Okay. Um, we might have to just call you back and see if we can get a stronger line. Yep. Or unless yep. there's something um, that's happening there on, on your end, is there? No, I don't think so. Um, mm. Did you want to try that? Yeah, go on, go on. We'll, okay. We'll do that. Hello, and we're back. Sorry for that technical difficulties. Just talking to a mother-in-law, Nawula Lunmi, um, up there in Mirawan country, also um, goes by Selena. Yeah. <laughs> also goes by Selena, one of the prettiest names. I've <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, got a grandmother named Selena as well, as you know, so... Yes, no, yeah. I'm always, always, always loving, loving that, that name. name. That yeah, name. Yes. yes. Um. Sorry. So we was right in the middle of breaking down a whole lot of what we're talking about, and you were talking about garden area, I think, and um, killing times. Um, yeah. So I was talking about the killing times, um, and family that was massacred through our communities during that time. Um, one of our main streets in town is actually named after the brothers that did that massacre. Mm. So that's a massive struggle. I think that even the town glorifying mass murderers like that really shows the difficulties that we have in this town. Mm. Um, it's like we're in the 1930s up here. Mm. Um, family was moved off country um, in the 50s and 60s. My family went down to the river. Um, everywhere they went down to the parts of the river, they were herded up like cattle and moved along. What river was that again? That's the Ord River. Mm. Uh, they were eventually herded into our reserve, mm. which is on the fringe of town. That land is actually ALT land. What's the government a is... What's ALT, a sorry? ALT is Aboriginal Land Trust. Mm. Um, so the government can't access that, but they're trying very hard to. Mm. After the reserve, Miramar Reserve was made, then they did a project called Garden Area. Mm. So in Western Australia, we do have a few Garden Area communities. Um, my family moved into their first house ever from Bush Camp in 1980, 1981. Mm. That's when they got their house down there. Um, so my family, uh, very far behind, I suppose you could say, in terms of um, advancement, education, um, living in white society. Mm. Um, it's been very difficult up here for many of my family. They talk to me about the invasion and the trauma mm. from the invasion. We also have another community in town as well called Nulliwa, mm. which is where when all of this herding of people and dispossess dispossession of land happened, the Nulliwa community was set up for all the Gidja mob from Turkey Creek and the Jaru mob from Halls Creek that were in town. Mm. So that part of that community is still for them outskirt mob that live in town. Mm -hmm. And the grassroots Murong community live down at Garden Area and Miramar Reserve. Um... Things are so backward up here in the Kimberley. It's really difficult to get non-Aboriginal community on board to support us with any issues. 
through the invasion, there's so much intergenerational trauma mm. up here. Um, there is massive issues with alcohol, massive issues with um, ganja. But it's really disappointing as well because when we went through our native title, we had millions and millions in this corporation, in our Mirong Gajarong Corporation that was mm. set up for our PBC through our native title, or Stage 2. There was over $200 million in that corporation. And 10 years later, the corporation has been given back to us by the government broke. Mm. 10 years later, we have now had the Indu card, the white card implemented in town due to the alcohol issues in town. I fully believe that we should never even be in this situation with the mm. amount of money that has gone mm -hmm. through this town. And I fully believe that we need to be investing in community, mm. in people. We need to be investing in people and we need to be investing in country. Mm. Um, I've been called in last week to speak to a federal panel regarding mental health issues and access and quality of mental health services in remote and regional areas. Mm. I talked about the intergenerational trauma. I talked about the dispossession of land. I talked about the undiagnosed mental health issues that we have up here. Uh, FASD, which is fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. We have lots of undiagnosed bipolar, lots of depression, lots mm. of anxiety. Mm. The Kimberley actually has the highest rate of suicide of young people in the world. Mm. Um, our incarceration rates in Western Australia alone are more than what they locked up black people in apartheid. It's disgusting. The government spends so much money on building structures to hold our people, mm. but they're not actually putting any money into grassroots social issues. Mm. They spent $45 million on a courthouse in Kununurra. That was through the Royalties for Region program. So basically, that's the government's cut out of native title. And they spent $45 million on a courthouse. We have a, po we have a population We have a population of 6,000 people mm. in Kununurra. So how is that even justifiable mm. to spend $45 million on a courthouse? Mm -hmm. They also built the Derby Prison, which is the Blackfellow Prison over that side. Um, it's really sad that my mob actually go there and get themselves sorted out. Mm. One of the things I talked to about the, to the federal panel last week was people get support in jail. Then when they get put back into community, yeah, there's no exactly. follow-through services. Yeah. You're put straight back into the same reoffending environment and people reoffend. Mm. We need to be looking at Corey Court models up here. Mm. I've discussed this with the Chief Justice, Wayne Martin, last week mm. and also the Premier of the state, Mark McGowan. Um, and again, just really trying to get them to understand that housing people up in a jail is not going to fix any issues. It's all Band-Aid fixes. And we need to be connecting people into programs out on country. We need to be helping people find their cultural identity. Mm. Um, I'm a firm believer through my own experiences of being a lost youth, learning my culture, my language and my law was what has saved me and has helped make me so strong inside and mm. that has helped enable me to be able to speak for, for the rest of my community as well. Yeah. Um, we have lots of issues with our young people up here. 
they're actually been talking over the last couple of months about building a juvenile detention centre in the Kimberley. Mm. It's so disgusting and disturbing. Yeah, why are we still talking about this in 2018 when we know that it doesn't it it doesn't actually um it doesn't work. work. It doesn't, it doesn't work. achieve anything. Um I talked to this federal panel last week about how we need to have this Koori Court model in town. We need to be utilising the infrastructure that we have already in town mm. that's empty mm. to house our programs. Mm. We need to be looking at two and three step processes um, to get our kids back out, out on country and looking at cultural activities. Mm. We need to be working with the families and strengthening the families mm. as well. There's no point in working with so many hours and dollars and all the rest of it with mm. the child if you're not going to help strengthen the family mm. unit. There's so many situations with DCP walking in and taking family, taking mm. children away from families. I also discussed with the federal panel, if there's situations in the family, in the home, remove the perpetrator. Don't break the family apart. We yeah. need to be strengthening the family and help give that mother the or the father, whoever it may yeah, the be. the support and the services. Yeah, the support and services. Stuff. Exactly. We have one child psychologist in the East Kimberley. Mm. I was going to ask, is there any rehabs up there? No. Oh, actually, no, that's, that's incorrect. There is. We have um, now our hour over at Wyndham, which is a dry-out centre, mm-hmm. and it's a really good service. So people can actually go there as a family to stay there and get dry. Mm. But then they come back to Kununurra and there's no services here. Mm. Um, that model over there has actually stopped a lot of people from going to prison. Sometimes they, the magistrate will send them over there instead of sending them to prison. Mm. But there needs to be more. It's, it's not enough. It's not enough. Mm. And, you know, when I had the Chief Justice sitting there with us at dinner on Monday night telling us it costs over $100,000 to house a male prisoner, an adult prisoner, sorry, for a year, and it costs over two hundred thousand dollars, two to three two to three hundred thousand dollars to house a juvenile in detention for over a year. Mm. So how can how can they even justify that? Mm. But apparently, Aboriginal housing is unsustainable and not worth investing in. Yes, yes. Um, and so even the Chief Justice at our language centre the other day talked about the Bail Act in WA mm. and how that is one of the most worth pieces of legislation against Aboriginal people because when they go to court and the magistrate has to look at three things stability of home, stability Mm -hmm. of employment and past Mm -hmm. history Mm -hmm. and the Chief Justice said them three things in themselves put blackfellas right that far back disadvantaged that it just works against us Yeah, because it creates a pipeline straight back into jail. Straight out, straight out it's not good enough. We really need community support up here. Mm. Um, I try and get on the community social pages. They block me on all of them because I advocate for community. Mm. Um, but it's just really disappointing. The The Kimberley is a place that people will come to earn big dollars. Mm. And what and what, the, what that industry now that's happening in, up there? In any industry, mm. government industry, private organisations, um, non-government organisations, anything. Um, because when you come up to the Kimberley, you get all these different allowances because you're so far away from mm. the city. So they get free airfares every year. They get their electricity paid. There's just all these initiatives that bring people up here. Mm. But in saying that, we have a very high turnover rate of staff. 
that go through this town because it's a very transient town. Yeah. People come up here for two years on a contract and then leave. Mm-hmm. It takes us two to three years to get somebody into the brain of how to work with community mm-hmm. and then they've gone and then we have the next influx of mm-hmm. out-of-towners. Mm-hmm. So it's just this always revolving revolving door that just never stops. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, you know, com- coming up there, having a connection, um, you know, to country is, is my, my son's um, connection. And, you know, just we've, we talked to his, his other grandmother the other day, uh, a couple of weeks back, a couple of episodes back. And, you know, these are the things that I, and this is the reason why I've brought, um, you know, asked you to, talk a little bit about the work that you're doing that is unsupported that goes unrecognized that is not celebrated every day that we need to be celebrating and supporting and investing our time and energy into and just be talking about how deadly our 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 women are who are holding all of these communities together who are raising children who are you know um being those positions in their families that their families need um all, all of those kind of things um i just wanted to ask you a little bit about um, lake, the lake up there and how even um, what happened with that with the mining and stuff like that how that's such a big industry right now um, and in in the landscape up there where that sits how much money is coming out of that mine and how much money is actually going into the community well lake argyle is the biggest man-made lake in the southern hemisphere mm. It was built in the 60s, um, and they blew up many of my family's creation sites to dam the Ord River. It changed the whole landscape. There was no consultation or discussion with any of the elders. Mm. Um, So through our native title, there was a big compensation payout that was supposed to make amends for what they did back then. But it was really bugger all in the big scheme of things. You know, we we can never replace sacred sites and, and cultural cultural sites once they're gone. Mm. Um, Argyle Diamond Mine has brought a lot of money through the East Kimberley. Um, that's the Gidja mob and there are Murong people who are part of that um, that deal as well. So Argyle Diamond Mine comes under the Indigenous Land Use Agreement. Um, the Ord Stage 2 development comes under our native title, which is MG Corporation, Murong Gudgerong Corporation. The, there's so many people that have come up from the city to do contracts mm-hmm. at these mines and everything. And we still see the same thing, that there's only a small handful of people, local people, that actually really, truly get upskilled and have sustainable employment through all of these things. But everybody else comes up here and gets massive contracts and gets paid heaps of money and then can use that coming up to the East Kimberley anywhere on their resume to go anywhere in the, in the country. Mm. It's really disappointing. Um, the mining deals create further lateral violence. Mm. One thing that has always been a concern and it's still continual is that our old people are not aware of the full implications of the deals that they go into. Mm. Um, my brother was a staunch advocate of having translators present through all of the negotiations so at least the old people was making informed decisions. Um, there is always so much greed involved in all of these deals. What we see is people coming up to the Kimberley to go and friend up old people to do talking for them to help them get deals. 
and it's it's not right. It's not right. Nobody nobody should be going to friend up any anyone else's old people. We need to be strengthening the ties across the Kimberley mm. and bringing things back to bush meetings mm-hmm. like the old people used to have. Mm-hmm. We need to go against the corporations. We need to rip down the corporation structures and we need to bring things back to truly cultural and grassroots ways. Mm. So our whole series, I mean, we, we, and I love this, and we just, I just got to make a note of it. We've been unpacking all of these kind of issues on a localised level here in Sydney, you know, being the forefront of, of, of invasion and then experiencing another wave of invasion under this gentrification, you know, under this pretty thing um, that it's supposed to be. Um, and we, we, I really freak out on how I can talk to someone literally on the other side of the country for two minutes and you hit all of the same points we've been unpacking, but mm-hmm. in your localised perspective, um, you know, and and this is exactly what my auntie in Melbourne was just talking about. We just interviewed her as well. You know, she was talking about how these are the things that our young people need to be doing. Um, mm-hmm. And I... I... I just can't stress that uh, that enough and it just seems to be up there in where you are at the moment because of how late that colonisation has yes. gotten up there. Like that's still yep. part of your mob's living memory, right? Yes. Like Kununurra was founded by a graduate mob, by white people, in 1961. Mm. So I think that's a really good um, indication of how how fresh invasion is in in my family's mind. Mm. On the flip side of that, my family have been able to keep their language and their culture mm. for a lot longer than a lot of other mobs around the country because we were hit so late. Mm. And that's but the then the stuff... flip side is the dysfunction that is still so mm-hmm. relevant here and it's still so fresh, like you said. Yeah, and that's the sort of stuff that we really need our young people to understand. Definitely. Um, because I think that we, you know, like you, like what you're talking about with the mental health um, stuff and Marnie was talking about the holistic health, is that, you know, that the colonial PTSD that we're experiencing is in waves and it's yes. at different points. And yes. so how, how, again, do we come together and um, come up with solutions for our problems when we're all experiencing it at different levels yes. as well in that different wave? I yep. think it's really, really interesting stuff that people don't really consider and I can't stress that enough. You know, last night when we was going through some of this stuff, we found um, we found a letter written by an old white man um, in 1920 that was talking about seeing images of, you know, mob up there chained up to one another, like yeah. literally chained slaves, yep. like, you know, and this is, this is still in people's <coughs> mem- living memory that are alive. Yeah, um, I mean it was only it was only four or five years ago that um, my old people, Dad Button Jones mob, um, that's our songman, and all our old people up here, they took the government for stolen wages mm. because that was only the seventies, mm. and the government gave them a two thousand dollar check each. So that's very and similar. I actually wasn't here. I was down in Perth at that time. And when I come home and my old people told me this, I was like, oh, my gosh, mm. they're screwing your mob over again. Yeah, but, no, it's a very similar story with my with my mum's um, yeah. grandmother. It's not, it's not good enough. We need to start seeing true respect mm. from white Australia. We need to start seeing some true commitment from Australian government. 
Um, you know, another panel that they brought me in on to speak the other week was another federal panel regarding constitutional recognition and a voice into parliament. Mm. Like I told them, we shouldn't even be talking constitutional recognition. We don't want it. We don't need it. Mm. That just further usurps us of our rights. Mm -hmm. But we need to be talking treaties, but we're not there yet. And who do we treaty with? Because the Crown is the Ill illegitimate government. We need to be strengthening our, our networks and our bonds across the whole country mm -hmm. between all of our communities and forming our own treaties and then setting up our own government. Mm -hmm. But until then, until then, we do actually need a voice into Parliament and we need somebody there that's going to speak for grassroots community. If there's any voice into Parliament, it has to come from grassroots. We have to move away from these hand-appointed leaders from government mm -hmm. that don't speak for grassroots community and don't have our interests at heart. Mm. Um, we we do need that voice if there's a voice into parliament it has to have veto power because otherwise what's the point mm. but we need to see commitment from government and we need to see commitment from white Australia to support us to help fix our country help mm. fix our people, help fix our country and start caring for our land Will it either give us back our land or invest in the stuff that all the problems that we have to do to clean up your fella's mess? Exactly, you know, exactly. Um, and it all I mean, because us women, us women are the ones out in the community that are right. working full-time or part-time, full-time, whatever. Majority of us have children. We are also looking after and helping our nieces and nephews and mm -hmm. grandkids and everything out in the community. Mm -hmm. We're also out there advocating on the front line for sovereignty and standing up against the corporations and everything. You know, um, we even had the, the compensation payout for Fairfax Media, who we took for defamation against my family the other month for um, inappropriate photo they used. Mm -hmm. um, Which you were know, young, and young, girl, young female family members again. Yeah, mm. yeah, that was um, my, my grannies being um, victimised in a photo that had nothing, a photo being reused that had nothing to do with the article that Fairfax and used. And without the permission as well, hey? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, you know, there's all of these things that, and from what I've seen through all of our network of all of our sisters, it's the women that are stepping up all over the whole country. And like you said, Bajuk, that definitely needs to be celebrated because mm -hmm. it's not just a one, it's not just a day thing that we do or a week thing. This is what our life is. This is what our path is. And it's mm -hmm. about us being strong to stand up and speak up for our communities and also build them connections across the whole country, but also educate others and make them aware and try and bring them mm -hmm. on board so we've got more support. Mm, and that's just I'd really really... like to I'd really like to um, arrange a cultural exchange up mm. in the Kimberley next year. So if Is anybody wants to get in there? touch, National yeah, if call out there. Yeah, if anybody wants to get in touch and get involved and let's get this happening, hey, you know. Yeah, that's it. Um, we'll we'll try and get some um links or something. So if anybody does. Get on. We'll keep talking about this because it does need to happen. And mm -hmm. all I was going to say is that what we're doing is not any different. And that's kind of the point, right? In amongst mm -hmm. colonisation, all this sort of stuff, it just means that we're stretched even more. Yes. We've got no support and we've got even more work to do. Um, yes. You know, and that's why I think that, um, you know, this NAIDOC theme has especially been triggering because it's like taking mm -hmm. stock of how much work we do do and taking stock of how much work we see you know, everyone else kind of contribute to the same goal. Yeah. Um, and as long as we all keep it real, you know. Yeah, that's it. That's what we've got to do, hey. Uh, well, you know, this is the thing. Um, I, I'm 
like as a first time mum, you know, raising Jarlene amongst all this, uh, I'm I shit myself seriously. So it's only because of you know having a strong, deadly Nyajang like you and a Nin like my mother and all strong women that we've been talking about and profiling, um, that we've been lucky enough to be exposed to, um, you know, that I feel that he's armed with the tools to be able to survive whatever future it is that we face and our people face. Um, Definitely. You know, and that's what it's all about and that's why we're doing this work is so that the next generations don't have to probably do, do yep. hard, you know, have yep. that stress and have that toll on our emotional well-beings and, and all that stuff. And it's just so important um, to just congratulate you and celebrate you for the work that you're doing up there because... You know, I thank you. Uh, I I hear it, and you know, and it's only because of these networks between these women that is kind of like a sub thing, um, underneath you know the activist circles and stuff like that. Because there's a lot of toxicity in these activist circles, and the only mm -hmm. survival thing that we have is banding together. But True. it's also enabled all of these kind of things to happen with the messages being spread, and for us to realise what's going on, so we can try to come up with some strategy. Yep. And that's so true what you said and I, I fully believe that as long as we all keep it real and remind people that of our cultural obligations to our old people, mm. it's never been our right or our authority to sell off land for mining. It's always been our cultural obligation to learn everything we can about our culture and our law and pass that on for our future generations so that they can protect the land. Mm. Deadly. Thank you so much for taking time out. No worries, Bajuk. Um, thanks for calling and uh, take care, everybody, over in Sydney side and uh, talk to talk to you soon. Yeah, and much strength and, yeah, keep being deadly. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. To all the sisters around the country, stay staunch, stay black, stay deadly. <laughs> all right, see you, mob. Deadly, see ya. All right. We, we are over time. We have just taken over this whole studio. Um, again, you know, this is why we tend to celebrate the whole month, not just the week. And I'm really pushing for black women to just take over the rest of the year, seriously. Um, because there's, nev there's not enough days in a year to celebrate black women's work in this country. Um, and our elders and to prepare for, you know, the next ones coming up. Mm. And that's what it's all about, is about maintaining that position and that legacy. Because mm. we only hold on to it. We exactly. don't own it. We're we only own holding on to it. Yeah, you can't own your mum. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's, that's a really important thing to kind of remember and keep as a reminder. And I just personally want to make a, a shout-out to my own mum, when um, Sherwood, who's acting... Um, DVC, um, or oh, she's acting VC of the University of Sydney this week. Um, so big ups to Chancellor Mum. Um, <laughs> so very cute. strong, very strong Radjuri woman working in the university, trying to do good stuff. Um, also shout outs to all, I mean, of course, you Lorna and Hannah who helped make this show happen and who I've had a great opportunity to learn so much from. Um, also shout out to Jasmani all the other wonderful mm. black women that I have the privilege to have learnt from. Shout out to the rest of my family. Shout out to my mama, my, my nan. Um, yeah, I think we need to think about how we celebrate the black women in our lives mm. more and do it more and think about it, not about naming it, about how we can take on responsibilities to help 
Just help. <laughs> Lift the load. Step mm. up. Step up. That's what we need. Um, I want a, a shout out, Tila, um, Lady Lash, Mariki Hood, Dizzy Doolan, um, all of the deadly women that inspire me and that let me ring them up even at two o'clock in the morning just to sh- throw ideas around. I want to acknowledge my older cousin, Nadina Dixon, who has been a source of information and inspiration my whole life. I want to acknowledge my sisters, all of the deadly women. This is your time. Don't let people tell you how you should be celebrating. If you feel like doing something, you do it. And if they, if, if people don't want to, want to, want to help you do that, go and do it on yourself. Go and find some people that will stand up and clap every time you walk into a room because that's what you deserve. Exactly. Ah, we out. We, we gotta out. be out. We gotta be out. Because of her, we can, or something like that. Well. It's like because of her, what you gonna do right mm, now? Mm-hmm. Because of all this stuff that black women have been doing, what you gonna do right now? And that's kind of what I hope, you know, what I wanted to flip it around mm. on. Well, um, thank you so much, Lorna, for steering this amazing segment. We've been on air for three hours and mm. we've been able to keep <laughs> it packed. And hopefully, you've been keeping it locked, been listening to us. You've been tuned into Radio Skidrow 88.9 FM. You've listened to The Survival Guide mm. with Lorna Munro and Joel Spring. Um, we hope you have a great weekend. And we're going to just Friday. Oh play my gosh. this out. Black yeah. Friday, celebrate Black Friday and your blackness every day. But today is a special one. So, yep, stay black. And thank you, Joel, for just letting me take over. You got my feet to dance in all Chile. You raise up the Fit to dance in all Tilly, 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 Tilly. You just throw the shade away.